how I'm learning to live with this new life. My name is Alana Parker and during these podcasts I'm also going to be joined by some amazing people from the council community. I'll be going back to the beginning of my story, started in the summer of 2018 um, when I was diagnosed with stage 4 epithelioid hemangioendothelioma sarcoma. It's uh, quite a mouthful isn't it? So uh, it's generally known as EHE. I can actually um, remember feeling the first twinge in my left leg and thinking, great, um, don't think I was really watching my, my posture in the gym very well. I, th- I think I've really hurt something. Um, the fact that I'm a massage therapist, you know, you sort of see the body as this group of muscles and tissue. So... You know, you hurt yourself and straight away you look inside and think, ah, what's this? What's that? And I'd convinced myself that um, it was my hip flexor. Then I decided that it was in my glute and I, I did all sorts. I was going and having pain relief at an acupuncturist. I was having sports massage. I went to an osteopath and, uh, oh, my God, that really <laughs> hurt. It was, um, felt like I was on a torture rack. But anyway, I was doing all these stupid things and I knew I had to go to a doctor anyway. So I went and within... A week, I think, I had had an appointment to go to um, a clinic. The guy there, he just literally started moving my leg around and stopped and said, I can't, I can't do nothing about this. I'm going to book you in for an MRI. And it was literally five days later, this MRI, it was on a Friday. So I was really shocked because you know all these people moan about oh such a waiting list on the NHS and can't get an appointment and here I was getting all this fabulous service so yeah panic was setting in even more at that point um I went for the MRI on the Friday and the following Monday morning I had a telephone call from the local hospital said, is there any chance you can come in tomorrow? We've found something a little bit suspicious in the leg. And the following day I went to Lincoln Hospital, was there for hours. It was blood tests, x-rays, CT scans. And the guy I saw afterwards, he brought me into the office and sort of said, oh, did you... Was you aware that you had this uh, tumour in your lung? I said, yes, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, they told me it's nothing. And as long as it doesn't grow too much, it won't, won't bother me. So it's okay. Um, he then said, we have found something a little bit sinister in your leg. Um, not too happy about it. So I'm going to send you for a biopsy. Um, also to see uh, somebody about the lungs. Nothing else was really said. He was he was very, um, what's the word? Kind of not head tilting, sympathising, but you could see he kind of felt sorry for me. And I, I knew then it was just this really weird feeling. So 
within a week or so, I think it was, I'd been and had my biopsy on my hip. That was fun. Actually, it was fun. Um, such a funny story. I was in this bed in this side room in the long um, area of Lincoln Hospital. And there was this little old guy. And yeah, obviously there was, um, I think it's some medication issues. I'm not too sure. But he kept running around everywhere and all he'd got was this gown on that was done up at the back and these socks you know like the totes toasters that were falling off his feet and this sweet little man with a bald head and he just looked like dobby the elf but the only problem was he wanted to come and be my friend so in the end, the nurse as well had to keep locking locking me in the room so that he couldn't get to me because um, Dobber the Elf decided that he wanted to make friends with Arnie, which was quite sweet. And if he's still out there, I wish Dobby all the best. Um, just next time, remember to wear some pants because every time you turned around, I could see your derriere. So, yeah, this funny sides in everything that we do, really. But um, after the biopsy, I then went to Boston Hospital and I was seeing the respiratory guy. I went in for my appointment and at first you had go into another side room and do a lung function test. I was breathing into all these things and... There was a chamber that you go into. It's great. I felt like I was being tested to go and work for NASA. And by the end of it, turns out I could work for NASA because I had above average lung function. Get me. But anyway, I was thinking, well, how can there be anything wrong? Why is he talking about this old tumour I've had for years? Um, and sending me to this lung guy if I've got this above average lung function. So before we went in to see um, the doctor, uh, I was sat with my friend and we were just sat going through a phone looking for tapas restaurants and food. And so I do love food. Yeah. Sorry, I was just thinking about food just then. Anyway... He called me into the room and he actually asked my friend Sam to come in as well. Would I like her in? And at that point, I thought, oh, God, I don't, I'm not really comfy. The last time I had anything like this was when I lost my dad and the doctor asked us into a room then. And you kind of just know that they're asking you into that room, not for a great reason, and especially bring somebody with you so I, it's crazy really because I actually don't remember a lot about that appointment Sam remembers a lot more than me but I think it's because I just kind of went into a shock because uh, he was talking and saying oh uh, this mass at the head of your femur and this involvement with liver and the lung tumours plural and I just looked at him and stopped and said, oh, hold on a minute. Um, are you telling me I've got cancer? And he he actually really did look very sorry and said, 
gosh, I, I, I'm sorry. I thought you'd already been told and you realised. Maybe, maybe I don't... Uh, no, I hadn't. I hadn't really been... Nobody sat me at that point and said, Alana, you have cancer. And uh, he then said to me, this is your nurse. And I saw another woman in the room. I can't even remember when she came in or whether she was already there. But she says, this is your specialist nurse, um, your Macmillan nurse as well for this hospital. And the next minute I had loads of leaflets in my hand uh, talking about different things and uh, just crazy you know, Macmillan leaflets and this help guide and that help guide. And all I was thinking about was we're not going to be going to the tapas restaurant after all. And I know it sounds crazy because it isn't really, it's not practical thinking, I suppose. But it wasn't a practical thinking situation. So, um, yeah, that's how I found out. After that, we, it was a case of waiting for the results of the uh, biopsy. And at that point, I was then moved to another hospital. So I've gone from Boston and I'm now at Lincoln. And I went to see a doctor there called Dr. Stokes. I liked her straight away. Um, Dr. Stokes is straight to the point. She's no messing. And I liked her. And um, Julie, the specialist nurse, she is just amazing. I've ended up probably being a bit annoying and she made the mistake of giving me her um, text number, I mean, her mobile phone number, sorry. And uh, everywhere I go, if I'm in a panic, it's Julie. I'm just kind of reaching out, Julie, help me. I don't know what's happening. And, you know, and I probably stuck in London or something. Poor girl. Anyway, you know, going back to Dr Stokes, she said to me straight away, it's a very rare cancer. Um, it's called uh, epilithioid hemangioendothelioma and it's part of the sarcoma family. Now, if you imagine that sarcomas in general are 1% of all cancers um, in the world, and then there are, I think there's something like 130 subtypes of sarcomas. I might be wrong on that, but I'm sure recently the World Health Organization renewed the numbers. And I think they discovered an, another 50 new subtypes. But so going back to EHE, so if sarcoma is 1% of all cancers... EHE is actually 1% of all sarcomas. So you can imagine there's not really an awful lot of us about. <laughs> you know, we're a strange little breed, a collector's item, actually. Uh, we're less than one in a million. I think at the moment we've managed to track down about 20 of us in the UK and we get on great. We have a WhatsApp group. We do Zoom meetings. We're very stupid. But it's great to have people there that know exactly what's going on. But I believe altogether in the world there's maybe about 500. I don't know. It's very hard to say because there might be people like me who 
was actually walking around for quite a while with, you know, lots of tumours. Um, what I failed to mention is what they actually found on the CT scans was widespread lesions across my hips and pelvis, um, a tumour in between the top of my femur in my, and in my pelvis. Um, I had lesions in my lumbar back area, in my thoracic area. I had a couple of tumours in my liver. I have tumours in both lungs and a little little bit in between. I can't remember what that's called. That's really bad of me. I really should do my homework a bit more. And then recently, by accident, um, I say recently, it was about a year ago, um, I'd had to, I'd been ill and they thought it might be meningitis. It was actually septicemia, but you know, yay me, which one would you prefer? But they decided to do a head scan, which isn't actually included when you have a full body scan. They don't tend to do the head. And um, I had hair extensions in at the time with metal clips and some amazing radiologist who actually did the head CT managed to spot a tumour through all this metal work. Um, I then sadly had to go and have all my extensions taken out because at that point it was going to be regular head scans. So, yeah, I've got a tumour between my the back of my right eye and my brain. Um, no symptoms from it so far. I've had lots of different treatments, which I'll probably talk about on a different podcast, I think. I don't want to go absolutely saturating you with too much information on this first one because you know it's it's been a busy couple of years and I kind of just wanted to introduce how I came to be about with this cancer for now and I've had lots of little adventures and travels along my way I'm now actually based at the Marsden Hospital for treatment I've got an awesome oncologist there, Professor um, Jones, or Jonesy, as I like to call him. But don't tell him because he might not like me anymore. And I'm sure he likes me. I don't think I annoy him too much when I go in my list of questions. But he's absolutely amazing. And he's basically extended my life so much because EHE is such a complex cancer there is no one standard treatment that works for everybody so the EHE tumors I've got might not um, work with a, a treatment that one of my friends is also having and vice versa and also because Sometimes they can actually even shrink on their own in some really crazy cases. But majority of the time, it can sit dormant for years and years and years. It's only if it starts to become symptomatic where lung involvement or liver involvement comes along that things get a little bit dicey. It's painful. The bone pain is horrendous. 
um, and I've become an overnight drug addict from going from person that really didn't take much unless it was paracetamol after a night on the gin I'm you know I'm a little rattling box of pills but I need them you know that the pain is too much um bone pain from cancer is said to be one of the worst pains that a human body can tolerate and I understand it because sometimes it's it's beyond words it's really not great but in the meantime I'm good I'm okay I've just started a new line of treatment not great when we're in the middle of a pandemic because it's actually an immunosuppressant so now not am I only just having a bit of a compromised immune system anyway from having chemotherapy last year and having lung tumour involvement, I'm now taking um, a treatment that's annihilated my immune system and um, and I, I'm just not healing. I've literally lost my superpower. So if I get a bruise now, it's there for weeks, you know, so I'm no longer this powerful woman but I will get my power back so don't panic it will definitely come back at some point but for now I'm doing okay um and and there's going to be lots of things that I'm hoping that we can talk about through the podcast and other things I can explain about EHE and sarcomas in general as well um you know there's a lot of people out there that have got other rare sarcomas um you know that might not act like mine that might be in the same position where there isn't any cure uh the last time i the first time actually when i first met dr stokes before we knew much about ehe and she looked at my scans i i asked the question that my friend at the side of me sam she she looked at me and I, I thought if she could stab me, she would at that point. Um, but I just said, how long have I got? And she said one to two years. So, you know, I'm nearly at, I'm nearly at three years, you know, I'm two, I'm two and a half. But it all changed, to be honest, when I saw um, Dr. Jones. He explained that because of the way EHE acts, it can be anything up, you know, six months to 40 years. And and I can't sit around waiting for the cancer to get the better of me. And that's why I decided I needed to learn how to live again. And that's the whole point of Lani living. It's a new life, but I'm going to find a way through it and find new talents and have a chance to do lots of things that I couldn't do prior to cancer or BC as I like to call it um so with its disasters it's brought a few blessings I can't sit and allow it to take away every little bit of life I can think of I've got to learn a new life so hopefully these podcasts are going to do that. We can discuss things, like I said, and 
tell you plenty of stories. And I'm hoping for a fabulous podcast soon. I've got a friend I'm just trying to uh, tie down to a date to do an interview with. She doesn't live in this country, so um, it's going to be a Zoom podcast. That'll be a first for me. Um, see if I can actually manage this. So um, it's all new. This is all new to me. This actual podcast has probably had about 20,000 takes by now. But anyway, I'd just like to say thank you for listening to um, my introduction. And I hope that you will, uh, you know, en enjoy what's to come and you'll stick with me for plenty of future programmes. If anybody's got any questions or comments or anything they'd like to make, please do so. And um, anybody want to message me or anything, um, you know, I'm here. I'm also going to be doing a podcast every month um, with my friend Sam. And it's going to be an update of what's been going on that month. And then Sam will tell you the truth because um, I'm very, very good at pretending everything's fine. And she will sit there and say, uh, that's not actually what was said, Alana. That's not what you said you're allowed to do. No, he didn't say you could actually join a track and field club. Um, so, yeah, she's a proper Debbie Downer. But you're going to love her. I do. And I couldn't have done anything without her you know she's got me everywhere I needed to be so yeah I'm looking forward to doing the um the Lani and Sam podcast uh should be a bit of a hoot and I'll try to keep the swearing to a minimal but anyway thank you for listening and I hope you've enjoyed listening to part of my story and the background to Lonnie Living and where we're coming to now. Don't forget to subscribe um, to the podcast and also check out the website LaniLiving.com and also Facebook and Instagram pages, both called Lonnie Living. So once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen and sending lots of positive healing energy your way. Namaste, safe, my friends. Bye.